Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Joining me now, you know him. You may know some of his story. Maybe you listen to the Bus Podcast. Maybe you know a lot of it. Maybe you know a little of it. You've heard him call games uh, over at Cajun Field. You remember his playing career. Ryan Leaf is our guest now. Good morning, Ryan, man. Uh, appreciate you taking the time. How's life, man? How you doing? Uh, I'm good. I'm good, Scott. Um, you should let our listeners know that, like, we we put this plan in motion to do this interview, like, in 2019, and uh, and we're finally there. It clearly, the pandemic clearly affected us greatly in terms of us working <laughs> together on an interview, so I, I appreciate you on that end. Hey, I'm glad we could finally do it, man, and, and as you know, a lot can happen in just three years. I mean, things in life, you... I don't know. I mean, I know you have kids. I always tell people it's like days go slow, but years go fast. Right. I mean, you know, it, it's, there's some days where I'm with them and I'm like, man, it just, I'm tired. They're loud. I love them. Right. But this day just keeps going. And then I blink. I'm like, how's my son already seven? Like what's going on here? So I don't know, man. Um, in some ways it feels like it's, it's been a long time in the making. In other ways, I feel like the interviews happening at just the right time. Well, perfect. I, I appreciate that. I'm looking forward to it. Well, let, let me first ask you something that I ask every first-time guest. Um, what is your favorite Beastie Boys song of all time? Um, you know, I, I'm i not a huge Beastie Boys fan. If you told me, uh, what was, God, what was there that, uh, the song that was kind of, I can't. I can't think. So of. they had. They had right. They had license to ill, which was kind of like more of a comedic. But you had fight for your right to party, and then sabotage was a big one. Probably when you were that's maybe. The, that's the. That's the one that I remember. Sabotage, and go. then and then one of their early hits, which I I can't necessarily understand, uh, um, was um, girls, 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 yeah. right? Or girls? Yeah, that's uh, it. Yeah. Right, girls. Yeah, Rick Rubin wrote that one, and uh, it's a song that. They uh, today claim they're most embarrassed about. But you know what, man? You live and you learn, right? Uh, we know all about that. And, uh, yeah, girls that – I mean, it, it does have a little catchy ding, 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 ding. I mean, it's it's it gets stuck in your head. There's no question. It's memorable. Um, <laughs> Certainly does. All right, Ryan Leaf, our guest. Uh, wh- when it comes to your life story, Ryan, which, of course, is, is still being written, mind you, why do you think so many people are fascinated by it? Well, I, I just, I think, it, you know, being drafted alongside arguably the greatest to play the game in Peyton Manning at that position, the start of the internet, right? Uh, expectations that existed for me. Um, and then kind of how the way I, um, how I flamed out, right? Not only as a player, but then ultimately in my post career, when I tried to transition back into civilian life and failed at it so miserably, I think you know, that, that, you know, continuing to make mistake after mistake. And I think people tend to look at that and, um, and at first not necessarily be able to relate to it. And then once I found some peace and serenity and recovery, I think a lot of people can relate to that, uh, being a flawed human being trying to be better every day. And I think that's, that's made it more of a, um, people are more interested in that because when they look in the mirror, they can kind of see the same, same person. It's, hard to look in the mirror and, you know, imagine yourself in the shoes of Tom Brady. 
But, you know, I think when you look yourself in the mirror, you can kind of imagine yourself in the shoes of, of Ryan Leaf um, and, how I, and how I navigated life. You, know, you mentioned Peyton Manning. It's, uh, if, if Peyton Manning, let's say he, he leaves the year before, I, I don't know that the Ryan Leaf story slaps as hard if Andrew Wadsworth is one and Leaf, or even if you're number one overall, right? That connection to Peyton in some ways, as you said, and I guess at that time in the internet and when it was coming up, it kind of just magnified the Ryan Leaf story a little bit. And then once the story kind of got going, then fair or not, anytime, you know, you made a mistake, it's in the news. Anytime you do something good, no one really knows about it except you. But that that kind of just turned into your life for a while there. Yeah, it did. And, uh, you know, hey, it is what it is. I think for the longest time I cared really too much about what people thought of me, you know, and – and what other people think of me is, is entirely none of my business, right? Can't control it, can't dictate it. Um, when, the, when the moment came where I was just okay with who I saw in the mirror, I liked that guy because for the longest time I didn't. So uh, there wasn't a harsher critic than me when it came to me and the behaviors and decisions and consequences that came with all those, those choices and decisions that, uh, you know, I, I ultimately had to either – accept it and move on or it was going to be the end of me and it almost it almost was we had a um a, a coach here at ul baseball coach tony robichaud he, he passed away a few years ago uh after suffering a heart attack but he was you know a lot of his former players a lot of them got together shortly after he passed they they all spent their own money they erected a uh, a statue of him and they all just talked about the impact he had on their life right and he had a lot of different sayings. We'd call him row business. He really was a very wise man and a very faithful guy. And naturally, as a coach, you have different players that come through your program, and they're all trying to become men, right? And some of them struggle more than others. But he always had this saying where he'd say, you know, take your mess and turn it into a message, right? It's, it's, you're going to struggle at times. It's how you respond. So in terms of, like, turning a mess into a message, what's – What's your motivation, Ryan, for being, I guess, very open about your struggles in life and what you've learned from them and sharing that with the world? Well, you know, it's not entirely comfortable ripping off the Band-Aid continuously. Um, I can tell you that it's emotionally exhausting when I go do and, uh, and, and talk to college football teams or to community events, uh, things of that nature, or, or do my podcast, right? Those nights were emotionally exhausting, but there has to be purpose in what I do now. And if there isn't, um, it can't be about me. It has to be about somebody else. Sure. And so what my hope is, is that somebody who hears it or sees it or listens um, can use it and know that there's a solution and that they're not alone, that it's okay. And one of the biggest points I try to make, like if I can find my way out of that hole, out of that darkness, um, you know, it's important that if I can do it, anybody can do it. And they have to understand that. And you know, I, I was very lucky. I was very lucky in that I had a, uh, a famous name of sorts. That So when I messed up, when I screwed up, there were consequences and there was a magnifying glass and people saw it and there was a spotlight put on it. There's so many of us who are out there going through something similar that I was 
um, but it's done in the shadows. No one sees it, and all of a sudden they're gone. And we have to fully understand that every life is precious, and it's important to understand that and cultivate that the best we can. And that's, that's why I continue to do it and will continue to do it. Well, I, I'm to your point, I'm sure it is exhausting, and I, I appreciate you coming on and being open because I could imagine it, it can get tiresome at times. But as you said, having that purpose behind it really helps you and, and I guess grounds you as, okay, this is, this is why I'm doing it. Um, with that being said, Ryan Leaf, our guest, I'm Scott Prather, it's ESPN Lafayette. I, I want to go back a little bit to childhood. I know you loved basketball, right? You love football too, but you just love basketball. Were you recruited at all in basketball out of Montana? Like, do you do you still love basketball a ton? I I did then, right? It was my favorite sport, and and I did. I made it very clear to the football coaches that were recruiting me that if I were to have gone to your university, I have to be allowed to try to play basketball. Uh, and some football coaches weren't down for that, and they were eliminated from the list. But Washington State was one of them. I went and tried out for the basketball team. I. I made the team as a walk-on basketball player and, you know, practiced and went about that business, never really got a chance to play. But it was, it was, it was my favorite thing until ultimately after the first season, Coach Price came to me and kind of, you know, kind of laid what, the, what perspective it looked like out front there and said, you know, you could, you could make a living doing this, this football thing if you put all your, all your eggs in one basket and really, really put the effort into it. And I knew I wasn't, you know – I, I, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I knew I wasn't as good at basketball as I was at football, so I, I followed that, that angle. I still love basketball. Uh, I certainly don't as, enjoy watching it as much as I do watching college and, and NFL football. Um, just for me, it's a, it's a different consumption in how I, in how I view the, the two sports. But, yeah, I mean, basketball was the end-all, be-all for me during that time. Do you – do you remember the moment in your life where you realized being great at sports in a small town in America allowed you to get away with things that perhaps others couldn't? Oh, definitely, right? I mean, that pedestal that I was raised up on because of, um, as someone like to, like to, I can't remember if somebody wrote an article about this or not, but that I, that I realized that I had this, this golden arm that kind of allowed me to behave however I wanted. But I also, you know, I also felt that for me to get out of that small town, you know, I had to have a different, different perspective, different view. I couldn't just, you know, rely on what had always gone on there. I'm the first Montanan since like 1950 to be drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. I mean, there are more first round draft picks in the Manning family than the whole state of Montana. So, there was no trailblazer. I was, you know, my heroes were Scotty Tiffin and Jalen Rose and those guys. And so that wasn't what I saw growing up in my home state, right? Especially not guys that, that didn't look like me, and, but they were my heroes. And that's who I wanted to be. And that's who I emulated. And it wasn't necessarily received incredibly well there. Uh, I think I burnt a lot of bridges on my way to, to you know, the top of my my craft and so it was a, it was a difficult upbringing um, because of that ryan leaf our guest great falls montana that was your hometown where you grew up what's what's your relationship like with great falls today it's complicated um 
simply because, A, I felt like my hometown and my home state uh, really shamed me when I was growing up, um, made me feel incredibly less than, like I was, I was, there was something wrong with me because of how I competed, how I was ultra competitive and, and, and everything like that. Um, and so I, was, I developed a, a sizable resentment. And instead of when I turned pro, you know, taking the high road and really forgiving them and inviting them on the ride with me, instead I went back at them and, and kind of scolded them and told them, I told you I'd do this. You guys are nothing. Um, um, that's the way I approached it because of that resentment. And sure enough, you know, I, I, I crashed and burned, uh, probably much to their chagrin, and then came back home and victimized my hometown, right? Uh, became a criminal and victimized my hometown. So it's incredibly toxic for me. I've forgiven them. I don't know if they'll ever forgive me, but that's something I can't control. I've tried to make amends the best ways I know how, and uh, it's rare that I get back there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, it, again, it is what it is, um, and I think Great Falls is, is, is doing just fine without me, and, and I'm doing just fine without them, I think is the best way to put it. Yeah, no, I, I understand that for sure, um, and I – we were talking when we when we first started this conversation, Ryan, about how a lot can happen in just a couple of years. Um, you know, you playing, I, I'm, I could be totally off base here, but I'm going somewhere with it. You know, you, you being a great athlete that uh, they would perceive in, in high school is, well, that kid's cocky and he's arrogant and he talks trash. You know, this is a small, predominantly white town in Montana in the 90s. And you fast forward to 2022, and I'm not suggesting that that's still not the case in, in a number of places around middle America, but it, it does feel like in 2022, uh, a, a young athlete with a competitive edge that is talking trash, they might not be liked by everybody, right? But perhaps they're understood more, or maybe you have a coach or, or someone that comes along and says, okay, let's, let's harness this a little bit rather than back, I mean, I was in high school in that age, right? And I wasn't Ryan Leaf. I wasn't this great athlete. But the idea of, man, everybody just needs to be like Barry Sanders and hand on the ball all the time, right? That's that's not as pre, that, that's not the dominant mindset that it was back in the 90s. In 2022, having a chip on your shoulder, maybe having a little bit of arrogance, I feel like more coaches and adults maybe don't say, well, this is great, but they say, let's harness this a little bit instead of, Shame on you, right? I, I, I'll, it, you know, as as we get older, sports evolves, but I feel like the climate in how you view student athletes or prep athletes and how they act probably a little different today in twenty twenty two, maybe than it was in, in Great Falls, Montana, in the mid nineties. Oh, definitely. I mean, as my my high school basketball coach told me, I was just I was ahead of my time. You know, um, you know, I. I one time I dunked this basketball and kind of stumbled as I landed and, and, and kind of corrected myself with my hand, and I just kind of stayed that way and kind of glided down the court like a jet airplane back and forth like that. And, like, you know, coach pulled me out. Like, like I saw Kobe Bryant do that too, and I was just like, that's the coolest thing in the world. But it just, you know, they just wanted you to be a great athlete and uh, 
and be incredibly uh, introver- introverted, really, is yeah. how they wanted it to be. And, and then there's a reason why guys and, and, and girls don't, don't get out of that state, you know, I, I feel. I think there's, there's a, you have to have an edge to you. And for whatever the revisionist history looks like in terms of me, when you want to look at, um, when you want to look at my past and everything like that, you know, I was incredibly successful until I wasn't, right? And that's, I think a lot of people assume that I was just never successful, right? But you have to have been extremely successful to get to that place to where that you can fall from that mountaintop. It, 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 it can't be just one way. You can't have it one way and say, oh, he was, he was crap. Uh, you have to have and have an understanding of a full perspective of what, what it was and the things I had to do to get to where I got to were, were, were maybe the reasons why I was able to succeed. Sure. I mean, the, the, the Ryan Leaf story isn't fascinating to so many if you don't have the mountaintop, right? If you don't have great achievements in there. And then, as some people would say, the fall. I mean, that's, yeah, you can't rewrite history and say, oh, well, well Ryan Leaf, he's just, he's always this failure and yada, yada, yada. I mean, number one, the story's still being written and you're very open about sobriety and, and where you're at in life now, but going back to what helped you reach fame. I mean, there was a lot of success, unprecedented success in Montana, at Washington State. Um, what, what was the best part and the worst part of your experience as the star quarterback at the, at the time, Pac-10 school that, um, you know, that you helped lead to the Rose Bowl, something they hadn't done in, in I don't know, was it ever or 60-something years? I mean, it was a long time. Yep. 67 years. Um, I, I mean, everything about being the starting quarterback uh, for Washington State was great. I, I don't have I don't have a negative for you. I, I can't find one for my – maybe the only negative I have is the fact that I didn't come back and play it, that I actually had another year available to me to do it, to experience it, and I chose not to do it. That may be the only negative that I pulled from my four years in Pullman, from the from my teammates to the town, to the community, to my coaches, to my coaches, everything. There just there isn't a negative thing that that that, that fits my mind at all when it comes to Washington State. You know, you, you chose Washington State. Um, it was close to home. You were comfortable there. But I, I got to ask you to at least tell with our audience if they don't know it. One recruiting story where I know you were a fish out of water, but it involves some. Huge celebrities. It involves the first time you ever drank alcohol. Can you share that with our audience, please? Yeah, I was. Uh, I went on a recruiting trip to the University of Miami. You know, the, the U. And uh, uh, while I was there, you know, I was Dennis Erickson was the head coach. They had just won a national championship. You know, um, and when we went out and about, you go out and you hang out with the other players that are on the team. Your host, who was my host, was Bryce Erickson, who was. Dennis's son, who was a backup quarterback on that team, took me out, took me about uh, on my recruiting trip. And, you know, uh, throughout the night, we ran into um, fellow teammates and everything like that. And, and years later, I was able to reminisce and think back to who these individuals were. But at the time, they were nobodies. They were, they were players on this university team. One was a guy not by the name of Dwayne Johnson, who everybody knows now as The Rock and um, WWE wrestler and, and, and uh, movie star. And then the other one was Warren Sapp, you know, two guys um, that 
we're, became, we're just incredibly talented and uh, went on to much different success. One as a pro football Hall of Famer, the other, um, you know, football wasn't the, the, the plan. But I, of course, at the time, had no idea who they were, right? I mean, they're just guys there. And then years later, when I would see them and see their success, and I'd be like, I remember that dude. I, I was, I partied with them on my recruiting trip to Miami. That's wild. And uh, uh, so it's, it's a crazy, it's a crazy story. Um, one that didn't develop for years for me because you just had no idea. But I remember reading, uh, I was on, on a trip once, and I was reading The Rock's memoir uh, and reading about his time at, at, at Miami, and it, and it really sparked that, that recollection for me. I'm like, I, I, I hung out with that guy that night. The first night I ever drank alcohol in my life, I hung out with that dude. <laughs> I mean, I, I, imposter syndrome is a thing. I cannot put myself in your shoes where you're a kid and – from Montana and and you know you 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 thought hey look I'm I'm the best quarterback I mean you had that when it came to athletics you had that competitive drive but I mean suddenly you're in a limo in South Beach with Warren Sapp and the Rock drinking alcohol for the first time ever that's um that's I mean again fish out of water is kind of the perfect analogy but that's that's got to be that's I lo- I mean it's funny it, it's you 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 live uh, a life where you're in the public eye Ryan and yet before you were famous or either one of them are famous, there y'all are in a limo in South Beach, man. You just, you never know where life's taking you. Um, we're going to take a quick timeout. Ryan Leaf, our guest. It's the great Scott show ESPN Lafayette. We're right back right after this. Welcome back into the great Scott show intergalactic from the 1998 Beastie Boys album. Hello, nasty. That album came out a few months after the 1998 NFL draft. I want to get into that conversation with our guest at this time, Ryan Leaf. Uh, Ryan, before I, I, I ask you about the chargers and, and the NFL experience a little bit, I remember listening to your podcast bust, which, um, you know, for anyone that hasn't listened to it, uh, I recommend it. You know, it's, I think, 10 parts, and you're basically just, uh, you get emotional, understandably, and you're you're sharing the firsthand stories kind of of your journey in life from childhood to, to now. Um, I think in our last segment, you said it was emotionally exhausting. I imagine a little therapeutic as well, but one thing you said in it is that you you've always had trouble trusting people and, and still have trouble trusting people today. Where do you think that stems from? Well, I just, you know, I think that, uh, you know, childhood trauma, I think does that. How, who do you trust? You know, it was always interesting to see people who treated me so poorly growing up to once I turned pro and had all this money and, and all that. I, I think it happens to everybody. So there's a there's a lot of mistrust, and I've had to work really hard on uh, how I trust, um, what that looks like. Um, you know, everything doesn't have to be all in, and I think that's what I think that's what I was. I was all gas, no break for so long in terms of of relationships. You know, people I trusted or didn't trust. I mean, it was only black and white, one way or the other. So I think that there's just been a lot of work on my end with 
with when it comes to trust, uh, you know, w- with family, working with a therapist, things like that. Uh, just like everybody, I'm a work in progress. Will continue to be until until I'm no longer here. And so, uh, you know, I try to I try to make the best that I can out of out of the situations and the and the lessons that I've learned. It's hard for for a lot of us, certainly me, and and I would imagine unless we have a, a celebrity listening right now, anyone to understand, uh, it, it, you know, trust issues mean a lot of different things to different people. But if you're in the limelight or you come into money like you did at a time in your life, it, it probably means something else because we can't relate to that experience because we, we didn't experience it. But you got a party has to be guarded. And yet, sure, if you always have your guard up, it's it's probably not healthy. I'm sure it's a it's a challenge um, going into the draft process, though. You wanted to go to San Diego. There was a lot of people say, oh, there's a debate. Was it going to be Peyton? Was it going to be Ryan Leaf, one or two? Did you ever really think you were going one? Did you always know, look, it's number two to San Diego, and that's where I want to go? Well, it's where I wanted to go. But, no, we were very fearful all the way up to the last night that, that, that Indianapolis was going to draft me. And um, hearing from the stories from Bill Polian and uh, Jim Ursay, that was a real reality. In fact, Jim didn't even make the trip to New York until Saturday morning because they were still trying to figure it out Friday night. So, yeah, I think I think a lot of people since time it's been 25 years almost. Um, people just assume because of how the careers turned out that it was a no-brainer, and <laughs> it wasn't. I was you know I was more physically talented than any other quarterback in that draft. Um, you know I had had no red flags and complete success at Washington State. There was no um, past history to just show that when things got tough and criticism got bad that I would that I would turn tail and run and protect myself and, and not think of anybody else. So, yeah, it was really close. We were fearful that, that Indianapolis may draft me first. But luckily the night before, late that night, my agent called me, let me know that, that Indianapolis had made their decision and that I was going to be the second pick to San Diego. And my family and I were all just really, really, really happy with, with how that was going to be. We wanted to go to the West Coast. I wasn't necessarily thinking about the right things, right? I wasn't thinking about having Marshall Falk in the backfield and Marvin Harrison out there on the perimeter to catch balls as a rookie. I was more interested in, you know, getting what I wanted. It was all about me, right? I wanted the beach. I wanted the babes. I wanted the money. That's, that's, that's what I wanted. And then I got to play football to boot. So it was, that was, that, that was more important to me than anything. The Chargers take you second overall and, you know, a lot of hype. Rookie year, you earn the starting job. You guys, uh, I think you started 2-0. and And, you know, as far as the NFL goes, Ryan, I know it's not just in a flash. I know there's a few years there. But it seemed like after that 2-0 and start from then on, it was kind of downhill. The, the media reports were never glowing. They, were, they, they seemed to always be negative. Now, a number of factors goes into why you weren't able to succeed in the NFL. And I know you've, you've openly taken um, ownership of those reasons, but of the number of factors, what, what factor do you think attributed to it the most? Uh, my inability to deal with failure, right? N- not viewing failure as an opportunity to do it better the next time. I just saw it as a black and white issue. I, I in my eyes, I had never failed. And now I was failing on the, uh, on the highest level for everybody to see. And I couldn't handle the criticism, Right. Couldn't handle being told. Uh, it brought back, a t- told I was bad. Uh, brought back a ton of 
past trauma around that, and 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 then I um, um, and then I had to had to to try to navigate it, and I didn't use any support staff. I just I tried to do what I'd always done. If I got back into a corner, fight my way out. And at that level, you can't do it. When you're battling the best defenses in the world every week, you can't spend the entire week leading up to it fighting with with the media, with with the organization, with teammates. It just it, it does not allow for anything like that to happen. So some people might read that as, oh, well, it's just it's just a chip on the shoulder. But it seemed it sounds like it was it was a lot deeper than that because I the idea. I guess in sports, at least from a media standpoint, or the way I've oh he has a chip on his shoulder, it's usually put in terms that it's a positive for a player. This sounds like for you, Ryan, it was something that was, for you know, damaging that that hurt you in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, like any, I mean, you know, psychologically, just because we're great at football doesn't mean we have the ability to deal with life on life's terms or have life skills. It's just that's a work in progress. You know, you just, you're good at one thing and you identify as such and therefore you don't think there's anything else out there for you. So yeah, it's, this is a, this is a, you know, progress rather than perfection. Um, trudge, uh, I'm 46 now. Uh, that was, like I said, 25 years ago. It's, you know, there should be a significant difference in maturation in that, that process. It just took me longer than I think a lot of people, uh, who normally figure it out. And you have to, I guess, rehash a lot of it more often than certainly the average person does. Um, but, you know, it's like I said, there's so many people fascinated by the Ryan Leaf story. When you were waived by San Diego, did you expect to catch on quickly with someone else? I know it was Tampa briefly and then Dallas. But when you were waived, what was what was the expectation after that? Yeah, I just assumed that I would go on to the next team, right? And I would continue on and... I get it. I get. I write the ship, and a new geographic location would be the answer for me, uh, and away I'd go. But I didn't change. Like you know, geography can change, but uh, no matter where I go, there I was. Right? I mean, I was in a perfect position to learn from Tony Dungy, that organization with great players. But because my ego, because of my whatever, um, when they asked me to take a pay cut to stay on the roster, I told them to. Just, you know, tell them where they could stick it. Sure. You know, I was the start. I was a starting quarterback. I don't do that. You know, my, my pride uh, and ego um, stopped me from having, I, you know, you look at NFL guys right now, Chase Daniels with the Los Angeles Chargers. I mean, Chase that guy's played 10, well. 12 years and, you know, I have more, t- more touchdown passes than him. And, you know, it, but you look at his career as a success if you're just willing to humble yourself and go, Hey, I could get, I'm going to get paid to play football. And I may not even have to do it in the pressure situation, but just as a backup and as a practice guy. And I just, I just, I did not have the perspective around that. I was one thing. I was a starting NFL quarterback. And if I wasn't, then I wasn't, you know, when it comes to second chances in football, do you, Going back to this time and age, I guess this was the year 2000 or 2001, do you feel like you would have been afforded those second chances at football if you had been a, a black quarterback? No, I, I certainly don't. Um, I think I have benefited greatly from what you would call white privilege. I grew up in that type of environment. Um, there were only two African-American 
students, athletes at my high school, um, and I had never truly understood the marginalization aspect of things. And until I really was incarcerated and was told by a judge that I had no value and that I was going to be warehoused and given a number, I don't think I still fully understood. And so there's a lot of gratitude in that experience for me simply because it's opened my eyes to uh, a, a lot of different things. And so to answer your question again, I, I, I think that if I behaved the way I did and performed the way I did uh, and I was a black quarterback, there is no way that I would have been given three more opportunities from Tampa Bay to Dallas to Seattle. I, 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 I don't see uh, how that would have, would have happened. Uh, and that's incredibly unfortunate um, because it's happened to a bunch of guys. Yeah. No, and I, you know, this is my last, I guess, football playing question, and I want to I wanna preface it. Um, I heard Jamarcus Russell on a podcast recently, and he was talking about being a, a big bust, right? Number one overall pick, quarterback. Um, and he, you know, he's he took responsibility. He wasn't saying that, like, he didn't do anything wrong, to be clear. You know, he says some stuff, and of course, in today's day and age, you know, you say one quote, and that's the one that people see on their timeline. They don't see the whole thing. But he also pointed out that the Raiders didn't take time to perhaps help him with some of his struggles, maybe not necessarily even football struggles. And basically, you know, they invested in him when they drafted in him, when they drafted him and paid him, but they didn't invest in the investment after that. And, you know, on one hand, because he's Jamarcus Russell or because you're Ryan Leaf, and many on the outside don't know you as people. They just say, oh, well, that was, a, that was a big draft bust, right? If you are critical of an organization that paid you lots of money and you, you let them down, right? You didn't live up to your side of the deal. They say, oh, well, you, you failed in this big documented way. Where I'm going with this, Ryan, is if you were to give an honest critique of the organization's choices when you were there, I feel like a lot of people are quick to maybe dismiss it. Oh, it's just sour grapes. It's that. I mean, you're 46 now. It's been a while. You have taken, you know, responsibility for your choices. What's your honest take on Chargers ownership and management when you were there from 98 to 2000? It doesn't matter what my take is on it at all. It doesn't matter at all because um, all I'm responsible for and all I can control is, is – my action. So it, it, it doesn't matter what I think or feel or, 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 or view as what the Chargers did or didn't do. My, my part in all of it was not, um, was not complimentary, right? Right. I acted out. So it does no good at all. Um, because as soon as you take accountability for something and then look at somebody else, and you put yourself as a victim in any way, shape, or form, you, you're, it nullifies everything you've said or taken accountability for. And gotcha. so, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I will listen to and, and watch the, the Jamarcus Russell stuff. And, you know, I, I see the accountability things, pieces, but you, you can't, you can't talk about other, other people or, or, or in other organizations because you just absolutely defeat the whole purpose of taking accountability for your part. Okay. It sucks that we're butts of jokes. It sucks that our careers didn't, didn't, uh, um, uh, what that looks like. 
or what that has. Um, and, and it's incredibly, in, incredibly silly to to look at something else and try to derive. I guess if it makes you feel better, by all means. I think I blame everybody for so long, and that that did me no good. Right. So have you ever have you ever met Jamarcus or talked to him? I have not. I you know it's they're they're guys. If he if he wanted to talk to Ryan Leaf, would you be all for it? Um, of course, of course, that's always the, always the case. I I I look, you know, you you get put in a certain box, and people feel like they know you, and then you live with it. But you're here, you are on the other side of it at forty six with this perspective. But so much of your perspective, Ryan, and, and listening to your podcast was the things that came after football and life after football. You, you said Vicodin was the, the, the biggest opponent of your life. Um, you referenced earlier being incarcerated. What, what was the point in your life where you kind of reached the lowest point? And then what was that point where you found that redemption? And I know it's, it's, yeah, I know it's not the shortest story, but um, I know, I know our, I know our audience, maybe they don't know that part. Maybe they just know, you know, Ryan Leaf, the guy that, that, that played football. Well, that's, you know, that people, people consume what they want to consume. They, they're open-minded to what they want to be open-minded about. Um, me doing your show or me doing um, other, other things, my podcast, it, it, in no way, shape, or form um, is meant to go, hey, everybody, look how, look how great things are now. Right. It's not. It's not. It's not at all. It has absolutely nothing to to do with that. Uh, it's all about, um, you know, helping somebody who may be in need of it, um, and having the platform that I do. And since it's not going to go away, like it's it's not going to go away. And since that's not going to happen, find a way to make it purposeful. So, at the end of the day, if ninety nine percent of the people um, still don't like me or still think I'm um, a waste of space or a loser or whatever. I mean, that's, that's on them, you know, that's, that's on them. And, um, but that 1%, if there's someone out there that uh, is in a similar situation that I was, I, I just, I don't want anybody to be as miserable as I once was. And that's incredibly important and purposeful now. No question about it. What, what is that taking your mess, making it a message? That's where you draw that inspiration, you know, um, what, what, when, when substances kind of controlled you in some ways and you were incarcerated, what was the thing that led you to your redemptive path? And like you said, it's not to, to say, hey, everybody, look at me. It's to help those out there that, you know, might be struggling right now. Uh, you know, that, uh, if you're willing to surrender and accept help, like, you know, the world's uh, at your feet. It really is. Bust is you, the podcast. You, if you if you are able to, you know, simply, um, and that was the biggest thing for me was to surrender. Like, understand that my way doesn't work. For as hard as I try, my way doesn't work. I need uh, guidance and support in a different way, and I need to to surrender that and accept the help that 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 is there. So. That's incredibly important uh, in in how it happened for me and how it can for others. 
the uh, the bus podcast, you you get into a lot of it. Um, you know, uh, the brain tumor as well. I mean, do you ever do you ever sit back and think about how unique your life story is? Oh no, no, because um, I go to a lot of uh, talks and discussions and meetings and stuff, and I hear my story everywhere. You know, there's some unique qualifiers, but like, I think the main point that that I continue to try to make and I live by and understand is that like, I am a flawed human being uh, trying to be better every day, just like everybody else. And, uh, and I'm just like you. And that's, that, that keeps me grounded and, um, and allows me to be where my feet are at all times. You've talked a lot about your parents and, you know, your father and that relationship and how, how great they've been, uh, as a dad now, you know, how much of, um, you know, your journey and, and the things you've learned in life, do you utilize every day in fatherhood? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it makes for um, a wealth of knowledge. Um, I think any father, um, they try to correct things that they felt were, were wrong in, in their father-son relationship. Uh, they also take some, some great things that, that their father help them navigate and you can apply to, to raising your child. For me, the best part of being a father is I have an unbelievable partner as a, as a mom to him. And she is incredibly helpful to me, um, uh, and understanding, um, and, and really understanding how important it is to me to be a good father like that. When, when it's all said and done, it will be the best thing I've ever, I've ever done or will ever do. So, um, you know, all my effort, all my uh, instincts, and in the moment when they place that child on your chest right after he's born, there's a, a wave of selflessness that just rolls over you because you know, again, it's never going to be about you again. It's going to be about them. It's going to be about your family taking care of them, doing what's best and what's right for them. And what's best and right for them is to be the best possible version of myself. That's, that's the only way I can contribute to this family. And so that's why I continue to work so hard at it. There's just nothing like it, man. There's just nothing like it. It's, uh, it's, it's the, the greatest gift in the world. It's the best job in the world. It's also the hardest job in the world, but there's nothing like it, man. Ryan, this is, this has been great. My last question. Uh, what, what would 46 year old Ryan leaf tell 14 year old Ryan leaf? Uh, it's some, it's going to hurt like hell. Um, but you're going to be okay. Uh, you're going to get through it. Um, enjoy, enjoy every minute of it and understand that this is life and life is, uh, is brutal sometimes and life isn't fair. Uh, and it's about how you deal with it. That matters. And sometimes you're going to deal with it in an incredibly poor, negative and toxic way, but, um, you're going to get through it. And, uh, and that's, that's, you know, cause I, I wouldn't give up any experience that I've had. Yeah, it's been tough. Yeah, it's hurt sometimes. Yeah, I've had to live through three years in prison, but I'm incredibly grateful for all of it because I just, I simply wouldn't be the guy that I am right now. And, and I like that guy. So if that was what the search was for to finally like the guy I saw in the mirror, then it was, then it was worth it. Wonderful. Ryan, I'm, I, I'm glad to hear you say that, man. And, um, you know, I know a lot of your interviews these days on the radio are about, college football and you know i had phil Steele on last week and 
I, I'd love your thoughts on conference realignment, and, and and I know you think it's weird with USC and UCLA going, but I um yeah I I just I wanted to to get more perspective on your story, and I was very um you know I me back just just have me back sometime. We'll talk some football. Yeah, I I would love that. You know, next time you come on, it's it's not about the 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 bus podcast or anything like that. It's just about football. But you've been more than generous with your time, and uh, thanks for for coming on the air today and. All the best, man, and um, continued uh, success and fatherhood and your journey and, and sobriety and everything like that, man. And I appreciate you being on and, and just being so open. You bet, Scott. Thanks for, uh, thanks for finally making this work.